It's inquiry season, but many wedding pros we've talked with are not getting much in their inboxes right now. So I brought on our head copywriter, who happens to be my sweet, lovely wife, Katie Taylor Jacobson, to talk shop about ways to make your website more effective. In today's episode of Own Your Business, we explore seven big website mistakes that cost you inquiries and what you can do to fix them before it's too late to leverage for this year's booking season. You're going to discover ways to make it easier for couples to move through your site. The number one thing attracting price shoppers to your inbox, the biggest mistake that makes it hard for couples to inquire, and why your images aren't attracting the right clients. We hope you find the information useful, helpful, and you make improvements to your site right away. To be honest, though, we could have made this episode 73 website mistakes that are costing you inquiries, not just seven. Katie and I mentioned on the podcast that we offer website reviews for wedding pros who want a second set of expert eyes. We got to talking after the initial recording about how we should block off some time in the coming weeks just to have our team focus on audits for our audience and do it at a discounted rate. But before we set down a week to do these in February, we want to gauge interest from people like you. Normally, we offer website reviews for $2.95. It includes a screen recording with detailed direction on what to do about user experience, layout, design, images, branding, copy, and general messaging. We go through each page and offer insights and recommendations so you can make changes in real time to your site and get it ready to open the door to more inquiries. But for these mini sessions, we're thinking of doing the same thing, but at more than half off, $1.45. So take a listen to the episode and make the changes you can with all the free advice that we offer. But if you want a more thorough review just in time for peak booking season, check out the link in the show notes to be added to our waitlist for website reviews in the coming weeks. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Welcome to Own Your Business. For those of you who do not know, my wife, Katie, works with me. And I've been able to pull her out of her normal day-to-day and get her on the podcast again. Welcome, Katie. Thanks for having me. Hi, you guys. Thanks for having you. I'd have you on like every episode if I could. You remember way back when we first started the podcast and I was like, you're going to do half of them with me. And you rolled your eyes and (laughs) you said some things that I can't repeat without putting an E for explicative on the podcast episode. And uh, we, we, we recorded, I think, five or six together right of the first 10. Then we went to Italy. We came back. And I don't think you were on a podcast for like 20 episodes. Well, let me be clear. It wasn't the idea of being on a podcast that made me roll my eyes. <laughs> I want to be very clear. It was if you could have heard the arguments that took place around the podcast that we did record, that's what's caused me to roll my eyes. But we've we've worked through it. We've got it, we've got it down. And I'm now in my office and you're in yours. And I think that makes it much, much better. It does. It, it makes it <laughs> makes all the difference. So I'm glad that we did this and prepping ahead of time by giving you an outline of the topics that we're going to cover. That's also important, right? 
Yeah. You guys, by the way, this is not an episode about how to work as a husband and wife <laughs> and own a business. Um, this is actually about uh, your website. So <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. And that that's the outline that we did. And so I came up with seven big mistakes that we see all the time when we look at websites or when we talk to wedding pros about their websites or that we hear other people who are talking about doing websites share with their audience. And so we thought, well, why not just go through some of these and let y'all know about them because you might be making these same mistakes or coming close to, we're not trying to call you out. Uh, we're not trying to make you feel bad about yourself, but we know that you listen to the podcast because you want to make your business better. And we know that you want to have the skills to do that. And at least the, the perspective and the awareness of what works and doesn't work. Uh, you know, if, if you ask me about wedding, you know, photography or videography or planning, you know, I wouldn't be able to tell you the technical know-how that I would need to succeed. Um, I would listen to a podcast or watch YouTube videos and I, I uh, cheer you all on for doing the same with your time. So we want to share these with you in the hopes that you can provide some quick fixes or at least get going in the right direction when you do sit down and start to work on your website because your website is super important. It's your online storefront. And, you know, we talk a lot about things like social media and referral strategy and getting on vendor lists and SEO and, you know, all sorts of other things that help get people to our website. But we don't spend a lot of time talk people in, in general don't spend a lot of time talking about or thinking about their website specifically. And it's like focusing on billboards versus making sure that the in-store experience is going to be good for your shoppers. And so, you know, you're doing all of this work with SEO and paid listing sites and social media and Pinterest and referral strategy and going to conferences and trying to get on vendor lists and, you know, gifting or providing free services for planners and venues and all this stuff. And they get to the wet, like those work and the, the couple gets to the website and it's like, wah, wah. And, and it's a, and it's a pretty lame experience. So, uh, we we want to make sure that when they get there to your online storefront, then they're actually going to see what they want and feel what you want them to feel and hopefully inquire and start the sales process on item. So let's go through and talk about these seven big mistakes that we see quite a bit, Katie. Let's start off with an easy one. This is something that you and I are are super tuned into when we go through and think about the user experience, and that is making it hard to see calls to action. So what is a call to action? What are different types of calls to action? Calls to action are exactly how they sound. You are asking the reader to take action, right? So it's calling them to take action. And that's a combination of some sort of a symbol and often words. So often on a website, you see a call to action button, whether it will be a square or uh, uh, you know, a square with rounded edges that has words on top of it, like learn more, discover more, explore more. Um, those type of things are called call to action buttons. But we also see them in things like carousels, where you'll see images that don't automatically advance and you have to click on some sort of an arrow uh, in order to get them to move to the next image or to perhaps the next uh, piece of advice or the next testimonial. Um, and so often what we will find uh, is that 
People will have calls to action, but they aren't easy to read. The button copy color is too closely matched to the font that is, or to the um, font color that's on top of it. Or the copy itself, the words themselves will be in a really tiny font size and hard to read. Um, or the arrow, you don't actually know that there's an arrow there. It, it looks like it's part of the design. And so you don't even know that it's something that you're supposed to click on. So those, yeah, like those the, are kind of the most common ones. We see the, the arrow thing is a real problem, for instance, on uh, carousels where images are, you know, layered together, but they need to be forwarded advanced, like you said, and you can't see this little teeny tiny white carrot arrow that's like on the edge because it blends into the background or the line weight is super thin. Uh, and, and that, you know, that could happen on the main navigation as well. I mean, if you think about it, the navigation menu for your website is really a, a bunch of calls to action that are listed up there. They're the most important ones, frankly, because they show people where to go and take them to different pages. And oftentimes we see navigation that's not easy to find. Sometimes they could be, you know, words that are uh, very long or multiple words, but oftentimes it's words that are uh, thin line weight, uh, small font size, not uh, very visible with the background image for the full bleed hero image that you or video that you might have there, especially on video. Got to watch out for that. If you're a videographer or you have video on your hero, the words might look good on the static image when you drop it in there. But when you see the video advance, you've got to make sure that the navigation is visible throughout the entire video sequence. Otherwise, when somebody looks up, it might be blending into the background and then they can't see where to go. So really important to make sure that you're that your CTAs are easy to see. You know, it may not be beautiful or as beautiful to have a big bold button, but boy, it's very effective. And I think what I've seen in, you know, Katie, over the last, you know, really five or six years that we've been doing, you know, uh, consulting or coaching and, and wedding website recommendations, we've seen designs go towards really hard to see calls to action real thin arrows or even words that aren't even underlined that you have to hover over to be able to to see that there's a click through. So, you know, I think designers are probably getting bored with basic and are excited about these new things and trying to make it look really pretty. They're adding more stuff, which means more noise on the actual site or the page, which makes it harder to read and find the call to action. So just remember the goal of the website is not to look pretty. The goal of the website ultimately is to get people to click through to your contact form and then ultimately get them to inquire. That is the number one priority for your website. So keep that in mind as you're looking at putting your CTAs together. And I think the best designers and the best designs are able to do both. They're able to make it beautiful and interesting and creative and on brand for you, but they're also able to make it very clear what action they want the reader to take. You know, one of the things that I would recommend if you're wondering, maybe my calls to action are too hard to see. If you wear glasses, take your glasses off. If you don't wear glasses, just step away from, uh, you know, your desktop as far as you can and still be able to, to be able to read the words and, and go through and scroll through the site fairly quickly, like most people would when they first get to your site and see if you can identify where the calls to action are. And if you can't with blurred vision or from a distance while scrolling through, if you cannot identify very easily 
where a call to action is, neither will the person who's using your site. Because the first time they go through, chances are 80% of the time they're going to skim. And and if they are skimming and they miss your call to action, they're going to get to the bottom of the page and they're not going to know what to do other than either click on your Instagram and leave and go back to where they came from, or they'll have to slow down and, and really start to scan things, which is not good for the user experience. So make sure you got great calls to action. And just a little bonus tip real quick is make sure that you're checking on both your desktop and your mobile, because the design does change based on those two things. And you want to make sure that both are very obvious. Yeah, great point. All right, big mistake number two, starting with design and then adding in copy. We hear this over and over and over again from people. I've got my template or I've hired my designer and I just found out that they don't do the copy as well. Or I tried to do the copy and I can't do it, so can you do it for me? And yes, we're happy to help. But it was interesting. I was at the Spark Conference, which was put on by Showit, uh, you know, one of the most popular website uh, platforms for wedding professionals. And I was there in November of 22, and I asked every single one of the designers, which was like 70% of the attendees, every single one of them that I, that I could find, I talked to, and I asked this question, do you recommend that your clients start with your services or a copywriter services? And every single one of them said copywriting. And I wasn't surprised at the accuracy of the answer, but I was surprised at the consistency from website designers. Katie, tell everybody who's listening why it is so important to begin with copy, not design, if you want to create a site that is going to go, uh, going to go smoothly and not require a lot of rework. Oh, I didn't think you were going to ask me that question. Well, I was just going to say when I chat with clients or potential clients initially, I explain that we first have to know what we need to say, which is kind of a messaging strategy. We need to know what the biggest desires and concerns are of the buyer, where they are in the buyer's journey when they land on your site. And then we need to present you as the perfect solution to those desires and concerns. So it's what needs to be said first, then it's how it needs to be said. And that's where copy comes into play. And last but not least, it's where do you put it? So what needs to be said, how it needs to be said, and then where it needs to be placed on your website. And those steps have to happen. Otherwise, um, oftentimes you'll buy a template and you'll be boxed in by like where they allowed you to have text on the page or you're limited to a certain number of characters. And so much work then has to go into sort of readjusting that template that started out really beautiful. And I think that's really what I would answer to your question, Sam. It's almost like it can turn into a Frankenstein. You know, the designer designed something beautiful, but then you go to place the copy on it. And so many design modifications have to be made to accept the copy that then the design doesn't look good. Whereas if you start with a copy and then either select a template or work with a designer to adjust that template, then you're going to have something that's truly beautiful and effective. Yeah, that, that's right. And that's, I think that's what I was getting at is that it requires rework and doesn't actually look as good as if you would have done that from the very beginning. Because the retrofitting copy into a site works to, you know, to some extent, 
in that you can you can write great copy and it can sound good, but it may not be as effective or um, flow in in the right way or wireframed uh, setup, especially for skimmers. Right, if the headlines and the and the crossheads are are not in the right place or uh, not frequent enough, especially for boss types and dreamer types. Um, and so what ends up happening is that the designer then has to go back and adjust the design based on what the copy looks like. And that then gets more expensive. And yep. <laughs> it gets more expensive. It takes longer. It doesn't look as good. Everybody gets frustrated. The copy then ends up getting cut in some places or reorganized, and then it loses the flow and the story and the narrative that you're trying to tell. You know, if, <laughs> yeah, you know, so like, you know, I'm just thinking of this as we're talking here, you know, a, a good metaphor might be the difference between building a home from scratch and buying a home that, that, that you, that you, you like the design of, um, but then trying to remodel it in major areas uh, after you've already bought it. And if, if you've ever tried to remodel a home, you know, more than just like throwing new paint on the wall, but actually restructuring it and, and, you know, having to get a permit in and, and go through and to move wires and plumbing and, you know, framing material and load bearing walls and all that stuff. It is a mess. It is a nightmare. And if you talk with contractors, contractors oftentimes are like, hell no, I won't touch a major remodel like that. It's a nightmare. I'd rather just work on easy projects that are fun to do, like building homes from scratch. And so in this metaphor, the messaging for your brand is the foundation. The copy is the framing of the building that goes on that foundation that everything then is built around. And the design of your website is like the colors and the textures and the surfaces that you put around the frame of the home that's built on the foundation that you know will support the structure that you have designed. And so, you know, just like you, you know, yeah, it's fun to pick out the colors and the carpet and the tiles and the faucets and, you know, the FF&E and the envelope and all that stuff. You can't really pull the trigger on any decisions until you know what you're working with, with the bones of the building. That was so good. Thought of that thought one on the fly. Like, it's like a house of cards. I thought you were going to go through this whole other diatribe, but that was awesome. Uh, yeah, it's part, exactly. It's exactly All right. right. Boom. I'm going to uh, mic drop. Hold on. <laughs> You're like, Katie is handling the rest of the podcast because I just <laughs> nailed it. I should have you on more. I, I I like compliments too. You know, I'm like a normal human. No, no, I kid. I kid. All right, let's move on to number three, pricing on the website. This is one of the questions that I get asked the most. I've been interviewed on podcasts about this specifically. I've gone on and done webinars with big companies in the wedding industry on this particular topic and been able to somehow talk at length because so many people have so many questions. So let's go ahead and just talk specifics on what it is that you should be doing for pricing on your website. So you, Katie's like eager chomping at the bit. You go ahead, Katie. I'm listening. What do you got to say? Well, I can tell you what not to do. Oh, good. Do uh, that. Do not dedicate an entire page of your website to pricing. And what I mean by that is when you look at your navigation, if you have something in your main navigation that says pricing or investment, and you're wondering why either A, nobody's clicking through on the contact form, or B, why you're getting so many 
price shopper looky-loos. It's because you're making your website. You're making your services about price. You're highlighting it. In fact, if you have pricing or investment as an actual page on your site, I would challenge you to go and look at your Google Analytics and you tell me what the number one page on your website outside of your homepage is. I guarantee you it's going to be that pricing or investment page. And you don't want it to be that. You want it to be your about page or your services page or your portfolio or something else that is going to be of interest and value and create desire rather than something that talks about the scariest thing possible for your entire business is how much it costs. You tell people all the time that the buyer's journey is about giving people the right information at the right time and in the right way. And your website is not the right time or the right way to scare the heck out of somebody with how much they need to invest in your services. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let's just talk about that investment word. I, this gained popularity, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, something like that. I think really, especially in the photography world, um, you know, I, I, I get the, the concept of investment and investment is good if you want, if you're selling B2B. So if you're selling business to business, investment is a great way to explain your services. We talk about our services as an investment because it really is because y'all own your businesses. But when you're looking at the word investment for somebody who is buying as a consumer, it's not the same effect in, because they're not thinking about investing in their business. They're not thinking about return on investment. They're not thinking about, you know, is the money I spend on this going to pay dividends down the line? In fact, one of the things that does happen is that you snap people out of the emotional decision-making part of their brain and you bring it into the logical, rational decision-making part of their brain when you start asking them to calculate return on investment. And the, the word investment triggers that in many people where they have to start thinking about giving away money in the short term for long-term gains. And frankly, most people do not like giving up immediate gratification for an investment in future success, joy, pleasure, whatever it is. That's why most people don't start investing when they should, when they're like six years old, <laughs> right? I mean, most people start investing when it's far too late and the power of compound interest has already gone bye-bye. So, you know, the term investment sounds good. It works for B2B, but it actually can backfire quite a bit. So I, I just remove it from your entire vocabulary when it comes to anything on your website or in your sales process. And instead, just talk about how much it costs. Use the word pricing or price or whatever you want to, but stay away from the word investment. One last thing I want to mention about websites, and then we'll move on to number four. Uh, is not to spend a lot of time talking about price period on your site and certainly don't talk about it inside of your contact form. That is something that I see quite a bit from wedding professionals, especially those that are trying to pre-qualify or weed out people who are getting into their inbox. Yes, you're weeding out, but you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater is what's happening because people don't know what things cost. And that's one of the reasons why they're inquiring with you. So they have no clue, which you know, how much your services cost and the stuff that they see online, they'll fall in love with, but have no idea how much it actually costs. And so they're going to underestimate how much things cost. And they're going to tell you a number far below the budget that you are hoping that they have. Or they may see the numbers in a drop down menu of what it is that they need to pick. 
for a budget that they're spending and they're going to go, there's no way in hell I'm going to spend that much money because I have something that's below that number. Even millionaires have no clue how much your services cost and they will cost more than they ever thought. That is the nature of our business. And so if you want to get more inquiries, if you want to have a chance to build the value for your services, to create desire for your services, get them into your inbox, have a conversation with them. Give yourself an opportunity to build up to then share the pricing with them rather than asking them straight out of the gates. All right, Katie. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Let's go into number four. Okay. Images that do not resonate with client motivations. This was kind of a game changer when I took this course on marketing to mind states by Will Leach uh, in February, March, April of 2021. And in there, I learned about these nine core psychological motivations that humans have. When they make decisions, they're driven by these nine motivations. And out of those nine, there are four that I find over and over and over again, driving decisions by couples who are getting married. And those are belonging, autonomy, engagement, and esteem. And the cool thing about these motivations is that you can find ways to communicate, to message them, not only in copy, which we use in our copywriting services, but also in image selection. You can choose images based on what that emotion feels like in the photo or in the video so that it then resonates and triggers that emotion in the person who's looking at it. And it's, it's pretty powerful. It is. It absolutely is. And, you know, I think this is such a rich topic. And in fact, we've done uh, some podcasts talking about the different buyer types. I know you have kind of dug into different buyer types and sometimes what their motivations are. Um, but but truly, I mean, the, the images that you have on the hero section um, of each of your pages of your website, the, the, and, and, and the images as you walk down the page um, can really trigger buyers in a really a, a positive way or a negative way, but in certainly a way that's going to motivate them to take action. Yeah, so let, uh, this is kind of an abstract concept. So I'm going to I'm going to put some you know some specifics to it here. So here's an example of something that we see. The, here's a, here's an example of an image that does not work for a lot of people. It, that is an empty ceremony setup. Mm. That, is, that is an image that, that does not resonate with a lot of people. What do you call it, Katie, when, when you see <laughs> the apocalypse? It's like a bomb went off and everybody died and this is what's left over. The flowers, you know, you've, the flowers lived. <laughs> you've seen those like dystopian movies, you know, like where like the zombie apocalypse happened and, you know, like the cities like deer and lions are taking over New York City. It's, it's like that, but for a wedding. <laughs> um, but, but seriously, it, it's, it's great. It's beautiful. Uh, it's pristine. It's perfect. And it showcases your design, but it doesn't create an emotion for most people. Now, I will say that the person who is motivated by esteem, which is recognition from other people, they may see that and go, wow, that's gorgeous. When people look at that, they're going to go, holy cow, that's amazing. That's incredible. That, you know, they, they may be turned on by that because it's beautiful and, and will, will wow them. But somebody who's driven by, uh, say, engagement, where it's about celebrating, especially with other people, life's biggest joys, 
there's no people in there. There's no celebration in there. They would much rather see a ceremony filled with people clapping and cheering and, you know, confetti raining down and arms in the air and, you know, huge emotions where people are walking back after just saying, I do, or, you know, a really explosive kiss, first kiss after they've been pronounced husband and wife or whatever it may be. You know, so you look at, uh, you know, one image, which is the zombie apocalypse killed everybody who was attending the ceremony. And the other one is the ceremony that you're like, I want that to be me and my friends and my family. And and, and they're both beautiful images. They, they both could be perfectly composed. They, you know, totally in focus, beautiful people, you know, all of that stuff. But the, the emotion is what is different. Yeah, I was going to say, too, just to add, you know, on that esteem one that you brought up, most people have more than one motivation. And so, you know, I think I think that's why that that particular zombie apocalypse image isn't as um, successful at hooking people as one that involves people or involves another one of the motivations. So my recommendation would be to, you know, really get to understand the motivations of your buyers by asking them, um, you know, what, what motivates them or, and, and you'll probably know from just your discovery call questions and, and having conversations with your clients um, in the, in the planning phases, what does and doesn't motivate them. And then I would, you know, just encourage you to go out and take a look at your own website and look at those images. My guess is that many of you have detail shots, an up close of a place setting or an up close of a flower arrangement in your hero section, especially, and that's just not doing what it could to help convert people over to your inbox. I love that you brought up the place setting and the detail images, because I want to talk specifically about that. You know, one of the reasons why a lot of premium and luxury uh, vendors end up putting detail images out is because they get feedback from planners who tell them that I want to see details if I'm going to refer you business. And that is true. Planners, especially at the luxury level, want to see details because that is what they are known for. So if you go through and you ask, you know, why do they want to see details? Because that's who they want to be known for. Why do they want to be known for that? Because they want recognition. What motivation is that? That's esteem. And it's for a business reason. It's for a good, solid reason. There's nothing wrong with any of these uh, motivations, but the planner is driven by that. And so you got to remember that your website is not selling to planners. Your primary website is for somebody who was referred by the planner who doesn't have the same motivations in them. They don't necessarily want to see the details. They may want to. I don't know. I don't know your buyers, but my, 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 my experience is, and the research that we've done is that details are important, but they're not the most important thing. And so you really want to prioritize what those are. If your planner wants details, that's fine. Give it to them, but don't do it on your hero image and don't do it in your services section. Instead, share a gallery with them and or multiple galleries with them and let them know, hey, here's what I can do for details. I can capture them. I will capture them. You will be able to submit them in a magazine or a blog. You will be able to use them to woo clients. I can give you all of these, but I need to strike the emotions of my ideal client and the ones that you refer me, um, not just yours. And so I'm going to I'm going to hold these closer to my vest and share them with you when you want. Um, and, and just keep that in mind that your, your primary buyer who's on your website is motivated by usually connection or, uh, you know, with other people or engagement in celebrating life's 
pleasures. That is what they want to see. And so your photos need to have people having a great time or having emotional experiences that are meaningful to them. That is, that is something that's going to resonate with your ideal clients more than an empty ceremony setup or a tablescape or a close-up of a floral arrangement. Even if you are a floral designer, they still don't want to see the floral close-up. They want to see what people are doing while they're holding the floral or while they're sitting around a table with a beautiful floral arrangement there and they can cheers and celebrate and laugh and smile and all of those things. That's what they want to feel. All right. Leave the, leave the detail shots for the gallery and the portfolio. You know? That's right. That's right. All right. Number five, you're making your website about you, not about your clients. Mm. Oh, I thought you were going to just say about the about page, but you're talking about the entire website. That's even more powerful and probably a bigger mistake we see for sure. And, and what Sam is, is saying by that or meaning by that is when you land on somebody's website, how often do you see where they say at ID Action Consulting, we believe dot, 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 <laughs> right? Where it's like, they're talking about what they believe. They talk about what they want. They talk about, it, it's always from a business's perspective versus it being from the client's perspective and, and speaking to the client and talking about the client's desires and concerns. I remember one website review, I went through and counted up the number of first person pronouns versus second person pronouns. So if you're not an English major like I was, um, you know, first person is I, we, us, our, those kinds of, of words. Second person are things like you and your. And the difference is that one starts with, you know, the, the individual, you, yourself, as the, the person who the focus is. And the other is that you're looking at somebody else as the, the focus. So I went through and I remember I counted on the website, something like 65 first person pronouns and only 10 second person pronouns. That was a very simple way of showing how much the website focused on the brand rather than the buyer. Yeah. And oftentimes you'll see, you know, the, the website will end up just turning into a bio about the company, a bio about the person who runs the company. It'll be a, uh, you know, a listicle or a resume of their many accolades. Um, when instead the, the buyer wants to know, you know, how this, again, going back to things we've said before, the buyer wants to go back to how is this particular brand going to solve my problems or how are they going to give me the wedding of my dreams? Um, are they aligned with me in, in, in terms of values? Like, do I agree with what they stand for and giving them the information they need? So yeah, it's, it, you, you often see, and it, it is a huge mistake and there's a, such a huge opportunity for people to do just some slight shifts in the way that they message and the way that they speak to the reader um, that would definitely add more of a connection. Yeah, I mean, I would say that probably in the neighborhood of, I'm just gonna put 60 to 70% of the websites that we look at before we start working on them. They, they have a homepage with very few words, maybe some photos, calls to action, could be an about snippet that's in there. A lot of navigation options and things like that. The about page is a bio and or a resume. There's a pricing page that talks about how much it costs. There's a portfolio page or, or galleries that are available and then a contact form. That is a pretty standard website that we see most wedding pros have. And if you go through and you think about that, there's almost nothing about 
what the client is feeling or thinking or going through when they are on that site. It's not speaking to them, it's selling them services. Yeah, exactly. No empathy at all. No, I understand where you are and I'm, you know, I'm going to meet you there and, and help you through. And that's marketing 101 is to join the conversation that's in your buyer's mind. That's what you want to do. You want to get inside your buyer's mind and figure out when they first land on this, this, this piece of collateral, whatever it is, is that you want to speak directly to them and hook them by saying, I get where you're at right now. Let's keep the conversation going. And, and if, if you don't do that, if you don't hook them with a thing that they're thinking about and you instead start by talking about all the awards that you've won or your personal beliefs or how much it costs, you're going to lose people right away. And they're going to bounce right off your site and never have any interest in pursuing anything further. So don't make it about you. Make it about your client, your, your buyer, what you do to help get them what it is that ultimately they want. That's that's the reason for you to be there is so that you are a catalyst to get them what they want and need most. Speaking of capturing people's attention, big website mistake number six is not having a hook. You know, you just said uh, a quote by Robert Collier was the original, was the OG of this, which is you have to join the conversation that people have in their heads or having in their heads when they land on your website. And so often we see, uh, you know, a, a really beautiful hero image with a tagline or a value proposition where they work. And then they go immediately into you know, we provide luxury floral for people in Dallas, Texas, and there's, that's it. And then it literally just shows some images and then like a call to inquire. Um, and you're missing such there. I mean, there's great real estate at the top of the page above the fold, um, that they can see when they land on that, that could, could greet them where they are, could, could join, has the opportunity to join that conversation. And, and again, show empathy, letting people know that you see them, that you recognize where they are and, and meet them there. Yeah. And that's, that's what people really want. When you can, when you can see them, you know, when people are like, I feel so seen that, you know, that's something that, that you're really looking to do on that first section, that hook. And that, that hook is hard, you know, writing, writing the hook is hard because you have to truly have empathy and understanding for where the reader's at when they land on your page. You have to know what level of awareness they're in. You have to know what their biggest desires and concerns are. You have to know what their intent to purchase is. And, and, and when you know those things, you can come up with a hook, but getting it right, I mean, can take time. We, our, our copywriting team, you, Katie and I go on walks and, you know, and she's like, she's like, Sam, I'm really like, I've got everything written except for the hook. <laughs> you know, how can, you know, how can we hook the person? I'm like, okay, tell me what's going on. What are the biggest desires and concerns and blah, 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 blah. And we, you know, we brainstorm a few ideas that, it, it's not something that comes right away. It takes some time, takes some thought, even for experienced professional copywriters. Well, and I just realized, like, we didn't really define what that meant, like a hook, like just, I mean, you know, it's, it's as it sounds that the goal of the first line of copy is to get the next lines of copy and, and more importantly, the rest of the website read. So it's really important that those first couple of lines that they see on your website really engage them, really pull the reader into the conversation, really pull them into your brand and make them want to read more. And that's really ultimately why it's important. And how are you going to hook them? By talking about their biggest desire, by making them feel, feel seen. 
Yeah, I'm just uh, if you go through and you look at our website, you know, I know a lot of you listen to our podcast, but if you go to our website and the thing that it says above the fold is book more ideal clients. What if selling your wedding services didn't have to be so hard? That that is in a nutshell what 90% of the people who come to us are thinking and feeling when they land on our website. I want to book more clients. I want them to be ideal clients, better clients. And the, as uh, Donald Miller would say from StoryBrand, the existential problem is, why does this have to be so hard? <laughs> right? Like you, you have the external, the internal, and the existential or philosophical problem. You know, the external problem is that I, you know, I, I, I need to book more clients. The internal problem is I don't have the skills to book more clients. The existential, the philosophical problem is why does it have to be so damn hard to book clients and develop <laughs> skills to do it? Right? So we are, we are speaking, our hook is right there on our hero image, book more ideal clients. What if selling your wedding services didn't have to be so hard? So that's a, that's a thing that, that we want you to consider as you're going through and looking at your website. How can you make it so clear to the person that lands on your site what it is that you do to address their biggest desire or concern? That's ultimately what you're trying to do with the hook. And it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's important to make sure you get right, spend the time that you need on it. Otherwise, they're not going to be invested in reading the rest of your site. They're going to bounce off within a few seconds. And I realize this is not a copywriting uh, podcast right now, but I want to just add, if you're, you know, what Sam just talked about with, we hear our clients say this all the time, that's called voice of customer. You know your clients, the voice of customer for your client, because you hear it all the time. I would argue that in discovery calls that you do with clients, you probably hear them say the same things over and over and over again. If you, if you can find a way to distill that down into the message that leads on your website, you're going to have a winning website. All right, let's move on to website mistake number seven. This is a oldie but goodie and something that I didn't think we could leave off the list. In fact, I was going to make it top six mistakes, but I had to add this one in because it's so important. People want to know what they can do to get more inquiries. Make it easier for people to inquire. So don't spend so much time creating a long, lengthy contact form. That is mistake number seven, a contact form that makes it hard to inquire. There are two things. Well, there's like 200 things that you can do to make it hard to inquire in your contact form. But there are two general categories. One is the number of contact form fields that a person needs to fill out. And then the second is the kinds of questions that they need to answer on the contact form. So the reason why having a lot of fields is problematic is because it takes more time and people are not willing to invest a bunch of time, they may become overwhelmed. They may not have enough time to fill it out. They may think, oh, I'm going to avoid this information and do it when I have more time to complete it. You know, you get to the point where they're so excited or so interested that they're ready to inquire and you put up this big, huge 10-foot wall that they have to climb over or, you know, a bunch of flights of steps that they have to go up to get over that wall. And uh, it just, it makes it onerous for people to fill out the form. Sometimes when I go to people's contact forms and I'm looking and I see that there's like 20 required fields, it's like, 
it almost the headline should be changed to please don't inquire. That's really how it feels, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I've just read through this website. I've looked through photos. I love it. And and you mentioned like questions that are too hard. Like my favorite that I see on people's website is which image in my portfolio resonated most with you? Well, now you're asking them to leave the form that you're trying to get them to fill out and submit, go dig back into your portfolio, figure, and you've made it required, by the way. So they have to do that in order to reach out to you. I think it's a valuable question. I think it would be a great question for a discovery call, but the goal of the contact form is to get them into your inbox. And it's just, you're making, you're you're putting up so many barriers, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, yeah, especially if you're making them leave the page to go back, they have to start all over again. You know, I, you know, I think there's, I get the, I know the reason why we're, we're, people are adding more fields. Number one, I think is because they want all that information so that they can then send them the right information or personalize the inquiry response that that's true, but you're probably not getting as many inquiries as you could uh, because there's so many questions. The, the, the challenge, I think, for a lot of people is that they aren't, a lot of wedding pros, is that they, they are sending out a pricing guide in response to the inquiry. And so you know, they're trying to, to sell by email. And, and that's, I think that these long inquiry forms tend to go hand in hand with the PDF and pray approach for selling your services. So t- tell me, you know, if this sounds like you, dear audience, you know, you have this long contact form, you get all the information, you send this super highly personalized email response that you think is amazing and attach a PDF pricing guide and let them know how excited you are to either jump on a call or and go over which option they like um, or to, you know, let me know if you're interested in moving forward. And and then you you hope that they, they schedule a call or send back a response. But, you know, that's that's limiting the opportunity that you have to book more clients uh, and also charge more for the services that you book. The ideal sales process is not to book people on the inquiry response is to get people on the discovery call, send over a customized proposal, and then overcome any objections or answer any questions or concerns that they have and close the deal. So there's a, there's a couple of steps in there that, that you're skipping over um, by, by you know, getting a, a bunch of information on the contact form and then responding with a bunch more information that meets the, that, that, that interest level. So um, I think it's, it, I, I get where it's coming from. I can also see the value for some wedding pros who do have a long contact form that are in, intentionally trying to create friction to make it more difficult for people to inquire knowing that the, the more energy, the more time, the more interest that it takes to fill out the contact form, the more effort that it takes to fill it out means that people are willing to work harder to get the request in. And it will take care of a lot of price shoppers or looky-loos, tire kickers, whatever you want to call them. Um, and that's true. It will. But it will also throw the baby out with the bathwater. It will get rid of people who are not yet invested enough because you haven't had the opportunity to persuade them to be invested enough or to showcase the things that they should desire with your services. The more people you talk on the phone with, the more bookings you will get at higher price points, period, end of story. That's the way the numbers work. It's like Vegas. The house always wins. This approach, the sales process we talk about, wins over the course of time. A thousand inquiries our way versus a thousand inquiries responded to in PDF and pray our way will win a higher conversion rate over the other ways. That's just what we know through science. And so you should 
increase the probability of success by getting more people to go through to a discovery call. And if you try and get everything done on a contact form and an email response, you're going to see less likelihood of booking and filling your calendar with those ideal clients that you want. So, you know, number of contact form fields could be anywhere between five and eight, maybe 10 at the most. Um, you know, like my client with 600 inquiries a year, like you'd want to jack it up to maybe 10 or 15, um, you know, knowing that you want 99 no's and only one yes out of 100 inquiries. If you're just starting out or you, you're short on inquiries and long on time, you know, get it down to five form fields, name and email required, venue and date if known, and, you know, tell us more about your wedding or what else would you like to share about your wedding as an open form field. And that's it. Um, you know, most people are going to be somewhere in between the five and the 10. Um, but you want to make sure that you're, you're making it easy enough for people to inquire and get to the next step in the sales process rather than trying to pre-qualify somebody so much that you're actually over-qualifying them and not getting the right kind of information that you need to make a solid decision if they're gonna be a good client based on price, personality, and portfolio. And on, on that note, and I guess this would be 7B, <laughs> would be check your contact form every now and then, fill it out yourself and click send on it on both again, on both desktop and mobile, and make sure that the, uh, the the form is actually submitting and you're getting that email. Yeah, that's great. I can't tell you how many people have inquired with us and said they're not getting enough inquiries. And I go through and before I even schedule a call with them, I'm like just checking things out and I go to their contact form because that's usually why people aren't getting enough inquiries is because their contact form is a complete nightmare to fill out. And, and I go through and I, I have a couple of dummy email addresses. So I, I fill it out and I click send and like nothing happens. Uh, and, and I go, oh, okay, here we go. This is it. I, I can save them a bunch of money. <laughs> just tell them to make sure the form works. Um, yeah. I, I think that happens, you know, maybe once a month. Katie, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is fun. You know, I could talk about this all day long. So. I know, I know. You know, if, if you are interested in having uh, experts like us look at your website and see if there are other things that are not working very well, uh, or if you want some more recommendations on uh, ways to improve your site, we do full website audits. Um, they're very, very uh, handy to have. They're very detailed. Uh, we do. A full analysis on uh, uh, copy and layout and images and user experience and branding, uh, gallery reviews, all of that stuff. And we go through and create a 30 minute or so screen record with specific recommendations that you can take action on and fix immediately or give to your site designer and have them fix. Uh, it's under $300 for the service and uh, is incredibly helpful. If you find that you want to do website copywriting with us or a full website overhaul with us based on our recommendations, then we're happy to apply the uh, money for the website review to a credit on the project that we undertake. It's a great first step and certainly a way that you can improve your site uh, dramatically without spending a bunch of money on an overhaul um, because your site may not need it. It just might need a refresh and we'd love to help make that happen on the cheap for you. So thanks again for tuning into this episode and we'll see you next week. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 